Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves podcast. Coming at you with a special episode, a Q&A, all about you where I take your questions and answer them. So before we dive right in, you know, wherever you listen to this, if you can go give it a five-star review and a written review and subscribe so you get all the new episodes, that'd be great. Please share it um, if you see it as valuable, you know, to allow it to get into other people's ears because you never know how the things you find um, touch you and and reach into your heart uh, what someone else might need just by you sharing it. So I appreciate that and the support and um enjoy this is a was a really beautiful one to record and to talk about and there were some great questions so without further ado here it is so i got a bunch of questions to answer five of them and if answering questions live is not so much fun i don't know oh sorry that was my phone falling i don't know what is let's let's get up on this right it's fun to go live, isn't it? So the first question, to stay or go. How do you know when breaking up is the answer? I love my boyfriend deeply. We've been together five years, but feel like I've lost myself in the relationship. I can't imagine not ever seeing or talking to him again, but our relationship has lost all the passion. He says he wants to make it work, but there's never any effort from either of us. Do we stay together just because we love each other? Or is it true that sometimes love is not enough? You know, I think that it's interesting because this is the idea that love exists if we're together and it doesn't if we're not. Or like we love someone and that is the fuel for working through things. And, you know, there that is this... There's so many layers to staying or going, right? It depends. You know, I wish I could just put into a little crystal ball, like make this decision and your life will be free and you'll be free. And there's many things to consider. I think the first thing is to let you know that, and I always like to qualify this, is that it doesn't actually matter to me what you choose. And that was important to me when I was asking similar questions, like, should I stay or go? Because because it doesn't matter to me what you choose, you'll be loved no matter what you choose. It doesn't matter to me because all that I care about is that you find truth. You find your truth, your freedom, more about yourself, a deepening of understanding of yourself. Now, the thing about hard conversations in relationship, especially ones that are about potentially ending relationships, is that they inevitably either fracture the relationship or deepen them. You know, so that's really important to pay attention to is that when you talk and you share the truth, now you've given birth to the truth. And so that is freeing in relationship is if all of a sudden now we're talking about the truth, then then the truth is in front of us. There's no more two people pretending that everything's okay or five people or whatever the relationship construct is. There's no more um, avoiding. There is only facing. And in that alone is is a beautiful reconciling, a, 
a courageous thing to do. And it's so easy to be quiet and to not share what we're going through, to avoid hard conversations, to stay in relationships. So I don't think that it's more, the question might not be so much, do I stay or go? It's how do I explore more of myself in the constructs of relationship that, you know, why have I lost myself? Why is the relationship a container where my individuality and who I am has actually become lost? That shows you that the container of the relationship itself is being invited to shift. And, you know, whenever a relationship goes through this sort of transition, the thing I like to note for people is that no matter what, the old relationship is over. The old relationship must die in order to give birth to the new relationship. And I remember reading a post once from Dr. Alexandra Salman where she said that, you know, over your lifetime, you'll have many marriages. And for some of us, it will be with the same person. And for others, it might be with different people. But in the experience of the marriage with the same person multiple times is that you're always growing and you're always changing so that the relationship itself must grow and change. And so when we hit these sort of upper limits to the container of the relationship. We hit these spaces that the old versions of us, the container of the relationship is no longer great enough to hold what we're growing into, how who we're becoming. And what happens in that then is a deeper inquiry. The question, should I stay or go, is really, as I said, how do I explore the container of this relationship to grow myself, to, to actually make it so the relationship can change if it can and my partner for us to actually continue together if we're so meant to be and um, not if we're not meant to be. And that's not to say that meant to be is some external thing. It's to say that it is you grow and you change. And if the relationship container can expand, it does. If it doesn't, it fractures. And that's okay because relational endings are not failures. They're just transformations. They're like the caterpillar goes into the cocoon and becomes a butterfly. You can think of the the cocoon breaking away as really just the old relationship. And that's why I'm saying is the new one contains two butterflies. The old one contained two caterpillars, which doesn't make one worse than the other. They're just different. And so as we grow, we, of course, ideally become more like a butterfly. You know, more we create more skills, more insight, more understanding about ourselves. And as we do that, everything must shift uh, because it's not just the romantic relationships that must shift. All the relationships must shift. Our relationships to everything, food, money, our purpose, all of these things will continue to evolve as we heal within, as we begin to discover more about ourselves. So the first question I always like to ask people when I get asked, should I stay or go? Um, especially in the context of this, this question is really beautiful because you can see there is a deep love for my part, you know, the partner. I love my boyfriend deeply. We've been together five years. Feel like I've lost myself in the relationship. That's really key information that we think that we will find ourselves potentially outside of the relationship, which I'm not saying that's not true. It can be true. But what happens usually in the context of relationship is we chose and birthed the relationship from old models. So we were, we're all essentially taught models of relationship that are um, codependent. You know, that, that I, I see my value in being chosen. I, because I'm in a relationship, I feel good about myself. Um, if my partner's happy, I'm happy. And what happens, especially, and this is socialization that occurs no matter your gender, but especially to women, to um, that the health of the relationship tends to be really dependent on them, you know, that, that they tend to be more attuned to the health of the relationship. In the research, they're more likely to bring up if they sense disconnection. And in a heteronormative setting, the male partner is like, oh, yeah, I didn't really notice. And you can think of that from a more survival-based perspective, that the female is more attuned to it because they've been sort of placed in this responsibility of being the caretaker of the relationship. And also the safety of the relationship is also connected to physical safety often, especially historically. So we have to remember that there's so many different constructs that are occurring at the same time. We have to take that into consideration. So 
whenever we lose ourselves in a relationship, it's usually because the relationship was created from a place where the relationship actually completed us, that it provided wholeness, that we, over time, it's usually a quick experience. You know, you have the honeymoon phase of the relationship, the deepening, the rapid acceleration, the love, we'll do anything, we'll stay up late, we'll we'll go on crazy adventures, we have sex everywhere, you know, whatever it is. And what happens is, is eventually, you know, we talk about this being the, um, they call it the fall from grace, that after the honeymoon phase, we then experience this fall from grace where we see our partner as a human and we see that they have flaws and you see that the, you know, the princess is gassy and the prince, you know, has got his stuff too. And you start to see that they're human. Now, that's normal to go from this transformation from honeymoon sort of idolized love to romantic love that is more friendship-based, compassion, deep respect for one another. That's different to when we wake up, and I usually see this happens around the three to five year mark, that we wake up to the fact that we have lost ourselves in relationship, that we are we forgot to take care of us. We forgot to prioritize ourselves. We often did it in the name of the relationship. So then we get to hold a righteous hand over top. But I did this for you. I forgot about this from you. I stopped working out. I stopped taking care of myself. I stopped going on trips with my friends. I stopped investing in friendships. I stopped investing in myself. I stopped for going and pursuing my dreams. This can occur from parenting too. And so we often think the container of the relation, like the relationship is the problem, but really it's that we gave away ourselves for the relationship. It's an unconscious contract that's created. It's, it's giving, but thinking that we get to keep score. It's, you know, it's not really fair to either person in the relationship, but both people in the relationship tend to be doing it, that we both tend to have these unconscious contracts and sort of things we give away in order to get the relationship. And this is different than compromise. Compromise is, you know, you both from a wholehearted place come to a compromise of what decision you might make together, but you don't feel like you're losing yourself in order to compromise. You feel like you're still being seen and heard and all of those things. And the, I can't imagine not ever seeing or talking to him again because the relationship has lost the passion. Passion always disappears when we lose ourselves. Because why would we want to have sex with the person that we blame for losing ourselves, right? Like, why would you be attracted to the very person that when you look at them, you think, you're the reason I forgot about me? Which, if we're looking from a child historical lens, we might think, okay, well, where in my family did I never have my needs met, or they weren't prioritized, or my childhood was about other people's needs? So, that's where you start to see that an old pattern is really coming is coming up. The old pattern is coming up of healing stuff from childhood, which is I self-abandon in order to be in relationship with other. I give up me in order to be connected to you. I lose connection to me to be connected. And that's where self-abandonment and codependency is ultimately born is from childhood. But then we wake up in adult relationships and we go, fuck this. Like I forgot about me. I don't know what's going on. I, when was the last time I even remembered myself? And you might never have, and you might never Never prioritized yourself. Because you notice a lot of people, what they do is they go into um, adulthood having never really looked at that. And they might become single after they leave an enmeshed codependent relationship. They get out of it, they can breathe, they start pursuing their dreams, they go traveling, they do all the things they should be doing in the relationship. And then they get their shit figured out. You know, they're like, oh, I got my stuff figured out. You know, as they say, get your shit together. I like the idea, get your poop in a group. So you get your poop in a group and then you start dating. And then you realize that you don't actually know who, you, you don't know how to hold on to these boundaries and these dreams that you have while being in relationship to other person. So that's really, you know, there's this concept that our wounds exist and occur, originate in relationship. And that's where they get healed. So this is this perfect opportunity that relationships will always trigger us. And wherever there is triggers, there's opportunities for healing. And there's opportunities to dig into the wisdom of the trigger, the thing that says, oh, that thing's tender, 
what did I learn about this tender spot? How did I used to adapt in this tenderness? What did I do to survive? I might have abandoned myself. Um, but now, how do I choose differently? If I'm asking the pain, the wisdom in the trigger, what do you need from me? How would I protect myself here and still stay connected to me and potentially connected to them if it's safe? So the changing of this pattern is actually inviting the freedom and transparency of both people. Ultimately, what is being birthed is two people's authentic selves are being invited to show up in the relationship. And so this is why, you know, we think of this in the context, uh, I believe I said it earlier, that, that the conflict, the conflict that is being born here, which is, are we okay? I feel like I've lost myself. Have you lost you? Usually what happens when we wake up to that space, that question, and we say, like, this relationship no longer has passion, the other person then gets triggered thinking you're going to leave them. And so they might resist the change and transformation that you're trying to be birth. You know, I remember um, speaking to this one person who said her husband was starting to bike ride and do all these things. And she's just like, I resent him for it. And I can't believe he's doing that. And they had two kids and their kids were 16, 18, something like that. And I said, what is it about what he's doing? Because all of a sudden he was choosing himself and he was investing in himself and he was still invested in the relationship. And she said, I resent that he's doing that because I want to be able to do that. And I'm like, well, what's stopping you? She's like, nothing. I just, it's easier for me to be mad at him than see that he's just demonstrating what I need to do for me. And this becomes a really interesting part because we either then that conflict, that invitation from taking the mask off, the sacrificing of self that no longer is happening, that's a beautiful place to be because it says, I will no longer sell myself out for connection. I no longer want you to sell yourself out for connection. So now we have an invitation to a deepening of a relationship. The old relationship is dead. The one that is based on two people pretending to be, you know, different people. And you know, there's a Ram Dass quote that I shared on an Instagram live not long ago that essentially, I'm probably going to get it a bit wrong, is that we essentially spend our adult relational lives um, confirming that our costumes are on straight. And this is really the truth of most relationships that are born from, I'm going to pretend to be who you need me to be, and you're going to pretend to uh, be who you need to be. And then we'll be in relationship with two people who are actors who never actually get to see each other. And then neither of us feel fully seen, but we're in a relationship, which is what we're taught to want. You know, and this is a really, um, when the fracturing of that occurs, both people are free. The cocoon is shed and you become the butterfly. And so I always love a question like this because it means that you're on the precipice of, or actually in the middle of exploring the relationship container, exploring yourself. And what I would say is, Practice investing in yourself within the container of the relationship, but also remember that your partner also has the right to have fears and also has the right to um, have fear that you're growing away from them or, or going to leave them. And it's to hear those fears, but then to also invite them to invest in themselves too, that the relationship itself as a container is now celebrating individuation rather than requiring the abandonment of individual. So it's a totally different form of relationship because it also creates passion because now you have space between you and them. So they become a reminder, hey, you remind me that I matter to myself. You're celebrating the dreams I want to pursue, the passions I have. That makes me so attracted to you because you remind me that I'm important to me because you celebrate the desires I have. Now, the real danger here, I suppose, but it's not really a danger. I just mean is that if you don't celebrate your partner's pursuit of their individuation, they will meet someone celebrating their new found exploration. It's a quick way for a relationship to end because there's a lack of support. And we get so caught up in the fear because I don't want to dismiss the very real fear that they're growing away from us. But we get so caught in the fear of the because the old relational dynamic is based on fear. If I abandon me, I get you. If you abandon you, you get me. So the bond of the relationship is actually based on a mask, a couple masks, couple, as I said, a couple actors together hanging out. So if all of a sudden 
this is not connected by fear. What's it connected by? It's connected by love. It's connected by the, the truth that if this relationship requires you to leave yourself, if this relationship requires that you forget about yourself, if this relationship requires that you don't get to be you, then I don't want you to be in this relationship. I never want, you know, for me, my perspective is I never want a relationship to be a prison. If it's a prison, then it's not a choice. You know, it's, I was, I've said this a few times that when you'll know that you're really experiencing love, when you know you're free to leave the relationship, that doesn't sound romantic because the romance idea is till death do us part, you know, but you know that if you're free to leave a relationship, you are choosing freely to stay. To stay is a choice, not a requirement. And I would always want my partner to choose the relationship, to wake up every day and say, today I choose. And that is such a beautiful thing. To know that love is freedom is so different than what we've been taught because we've been taught that to be loved is to be saved. Um, if you're female, you you know, to be in a castle waiting for a prince to come get you. If you're a man, to be the prince who saves people, to make enough money, to have worth and status and be a good provider. And no matter the construct of your humanity, the, 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 the as, you know, um, people call it the meat bag you were born into that your soul is, is birthed in. We all, you know, no matter the space that we were born into, we were taught constructs of who to be and how to be. And if we are any different than that, then we often feel not seen and not heard. And so that's why when we wake up in relationship into these containers that have been based on self-abandonment, it's such an invitation for us to find out who we really are, what we really want. And of course, our partner needs to be pursuing the passions, you know, in this question, the partner needs to also want to now create a new container and a new relationship from this space. And at first there might be resistance to it, but ultimately the relationship will either dissolve or it will grow. And that's really what we have to stick to is no longer will I shrink for love. No longer will I abandon myself for love. My standing in the truth of who I am is actually the invitation to love. And it's the invitation of the expansion. Because this is really ultimately what occurs is I say, I'm going to stop shrinking to meet you and make you comfortable. I'm going to stand up straight, expand, grow, become different, become new, become more powerful, more heard, more in my worth. And I'm demanding that you do the exact same thing. What a gift, what an invitation that is that you, that you climb to the same space, that instead of making you comfortable by shrinking and us staying in this old container, we make the old ceiling that we had the new floor and we grow and we stand upon the very foundation that we needed, the crumbled rocks that are at the bottom. We stand upon that now different, more powerful, more open, more free. And to choose love from that space is... I mean, that's everything. So I hope that makes sense. That was a real long answer to that question, but I think necessary. Okay. The next question is emotional unavailable. Is it emotional unavailability or just their current situation? Mm -hmm. If someone expresses their emotional unavailability, stating they don't think they can currently give to a relationship what you need and deserve due to temporary personal life circumstances, how do I tell if this is who they are or if it's just a current issue that will pass? Is it ever okay to wait for them or should I just try to move on? It's so natural for our minds to want to solve the problem for them, especially if we're empathic, codependent, uh, anxiously attached, is we actually want to actually figure out, is their unavailability temporary? Can we fix it? Can they change? Should we wait? You know, this is such a fascinating thing to begin to think about, right? Because then we're like, okay, so here we go into fixer mode instead of actually hearing the truth. The truth is there's unavailability. This person's not interested in a relationship right now, can't hold one, doesn't have the ability to provide what someone needs and deserves. And when we actually do that, we're in a really beautiful space because they're telling the truth. I mean, they're being honest about what they actually want. And so for the person who's actually uh, sitting on the side waiting to fix this, uh, I would look for patterns here. Am I used to trying to fix? Am I attracted to unavailability? Do I not listen to the truth and think I know better for the other person? Do I tend to wait and chase? 
These are all standard sort of codependent patterns, you know, where we're the ones like waiting to fix. We know better for them. There's a book I know. Get on this YouTube live with this guy. Listen to this podcast. You know, like there's all these different ways that we try to fix instead of actually hearing the truth. And in that, instead of rescuing other people, what we do is we rescue ourselves. The growth occurs for us as we go. Thanks for sharing that. I really appreciate your honesty. I'm going to move forward. And you have to keep going on with your life, you know, because you think about it, it's like the same question when someone says to me, should I get back together with an ex? And my thought is, it's never about getting back together. It's about getting together, moving forward. If you're growing and expanding and they're growing and expanding, you won't have to orchestrate it. You won't have to plan it. It won't be contrived. You won't try to manipulate the universe and the world to run into each other. It will just occur. And they will meet you in their growth ahead, forward. And you won't think about if it's them because it will be someone who meets you in the expanded version of you. And for me, the growth is always in listening to people, what they tell you, pay attention to what they say the first time, and just believe that they actually know what's best for them, that they can figure it out, that when they're ready, it certainly isn't because someone said, I, you know, I think you'll just get through this. I think you da, 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 da. here's what you need. No one ever grows from that. They always grow from not being left behind, but being trusted with the fact that they can move towards anything. And it might not be you, but it doesn't matter because the other side of this is, of course, the question, how long should you wait for anything? And the answer I always have to that is you should always negotiate with yourself how long till you have to abandon yourself in order how long till you feel like you're abandoning yourself and you have to be honest with yourself, you'll be able to see it in your body. You'll be able to sense it in your body that you know that you have gone beyond that. There's a self-abandonment, a feeling in your gut. Usually it's in the gut where we can feel like I forgot about me. And what I actually want is now gone on hold and I'm starting to resent this person. I'm starting to be angry. I'm starting to hold it over their head. I'm starting to want to figure out how to manipulate them, how to fix it and how to be needed. So I'll give them sex or I'll give them BJs, you know, like we think that we can manipulate someone into this and then they'll want what we want because they'll figure out that we're so good at, you know, becoming a doormat in order to get it. But do you see that when you get someone from that place of manipulation you never actually get them. You're just um, in some ways prostituting ourselves in order to get them, you know, that we're selling ourselves out. We're self-abandoning. So we're not actually in our bodies in order to be in that relationship. We have to leave our bodies and our soul, which says, choose me, love me. We actually are worthy of more than this. We don't have to manipulate or be contrived or pretend. We are worthy of what we want, but you have to leave your soul in order to choose to invest in things that require you not to be whole, that actually you're choosing from a place of non-wholeness, right? So they complete the part of you you just left behind, if that makes sense. So yeah, there we go. All right. Third question. Can I stay friends with my ex-friends with benefits? My friends with benefits of two years and I decided to finally end things. And um, sorry, my friends with benefit of two years and I decided to finally end things as I want a relationship and he doesn't. I know there's an emotional connection there and I feel like maybe he's not ready to move forward. He's younger. I've sort of lost myself in the process and I'm starting to work on myself again, but it's extremely hard. We work together. Is there something we can work on together or best to do things separately? How can I make sure I don't reach out to him? Well, I mean, the simple answer is don't reach out to him, of course. Um, the Here, can I stay friends with my ex-friends with benefits? No, not if you want more than friendship. Because every time that you are inexperienced, it doesn't mean you can't be down the road, but this is classic low accountability behavior, which means we set a bar of low accountability because we don't believe we're worthy of more. So we settle for, which doesn't mean this is always true, but we often settle for friends with benefits because we don't want to declare what we actually want. So you're looking for a relationship. I'm guessing in the two years that you've had this friends with benefits, he'd, he's filled a space that you actually could have had someone who wants a relationship and wants what you want to enter. No pun intended. Now, the interesting thing here is that I'm sure maybe you entered this from a complete place, from a place of 
yeah, this is just going to be fun for a bit. I need a distraction. Life's wild, COVID, whatever it is, but it was two years ago, so you don't have COVID as a reason. But let's say SARS two years ago, I don't know, H1N1, let's just choose a pandemic that made you choose this. But what it really happens is I would, I'm almost certain, because this is true for almost everyone that chooses friends with benefits and then it transitions, is there was a point in the two years where you actually wanted more. Now we have to remember you're going to catch feelings relationally unless you're disassociated and disconnected from yourself, truly avoidant, um, which some people also might say truly narcissistic, but avoidant people. I'm not saying narcissistic people are, are avoidant people are narcissistic, but all narcissistic people are avoidant. That's true. It's just an extreme form of avoidance that is masked with high self-worth, but the high self-worth is not actually there. It's just a mask. It's a, But there's such a disassociation from the true shame and pain within that they don't even have access to that. That's why they don't have access to empathy because they don't have access to the deep part of them that's traumatized and hurt. So in the context of this, it's like, we want this relationship now We've probably abandoned ourselves in those two years, not that long ago, maybe a long time ago, maybe the first three months. You know, when oxytocin gets released, which gets released during orgasm, during intimacy, um, it is postulated that it lasts a shorter time in men than in women. Um, That's actually true based on some research, but the postulation is that it's the way that testosterone interacts with oxytocin that shortens its half life versus. Uh, estrogen. So it lasts longer in women than it does in men. So if you think about that, after you have a one night stand or a friends with benefits, one person starts to catch feelings, the other one, it lasts a couple of days and they're like, yeah, and I'm speaking heteronormatively. So these combinations of things would make sense in different genders too, in different gender combinations. So what we really have to ask is, not can we be friends with them, but am I honoring myself? That's really the true question. Am I honoring and claiming what I truly believe, what I truly want? And then is, am I actually acting in a way that validates that I'm worthy of what I say I want? So if they want just friends with benefits and you want a relationship and you choose just friends with benefits, you are self-abandoning. If they want just friends with benefits and they choose a relationship, they'll be self-abandoning too. Now, most avoidant people are not going to do that. They're not going to give more commitment than they're capable of because usually when people are avoidant and friends with benefits is a great way uh, to limit the depth of intimacy we have. We get to control the level of intimacy, but we get, so it's kind of like if you think about the concept of eroticizing our pain, if I choose someone who never wants to choose me, then in the choosing of them or the participating in friends with benefits. This is not a judgment of friends with benefits, by the way. This is just how often it plays out. So if I'm in friends with benefits with someone who I who is unavailable, then every time I experience arousal to them, every time I'm with them, I experience self-abandonment. I experience their unavailability. But every time I experience arousal with them, I numb the unavailability. So I treat the unavailability. That elation numbs the pain of self-abandonment. So the lack of wholeness that I have to have in order to choose someone who's not what I want or not available to me won't choose me. That experience of self-abandonment then gets masked and treated with arousal. Interesting, right? So you work together, you might need boundaries around your work. If the option is there, you might need to work in a different area, being exposed to them all the time. If you don't have to work cross-functionally or on a team with them, then I just invite a boundary that you don't want to talk at work. Um, I would invite boundaries here. How do you make sure you don't reach out to them? You get good friends who will call you on your shit and tell you not to do that thing, that dance. If you're about to call them, you call them. And you have to remember that the self-worth only comes from the death of self. It has to come from the place, the part of you that believed that you could only have this minimum low accountability behavior. The part of you that believed that has to sit in the loneliness of not treating the the loneliness with the arousal, not treating the loneliness with the connection, the contact, the texting. So in that, in that space, likely in feelings you might never have sat in and I'm could come from anything. A breakup could have come from childhood. 
fear of abandonment, fear of rejection, experience of those things, worried you'll experience it again. In that space between what you have settled for and what you are waiting for is expansion, is you actually getting to know deeper parts of yourself and self-soothing and adulting. So actually sitting in that space, it's such a beautiful, painful space to be in. Um, I was reading a quote the other day that there was that, um, I forget who said it, but the, the quote essentially was, I seek suffering, not I seek suffering. This was in a philosophical way. So just um, bear with me. It was that through pain is how I come closer to God. That in the suffering, in the pain is actually where you learn about yourself, where you get to the depths of who you are, where you observe, where you abandon yourself, the pains that you've never sat in. You get to know your inner child. You get to learn how to adult. And so in that experience, in the sitting in the pain, the stillness, the space between what you've settled for, the space between what you allowed, in the context of all these questions, sitting in the space between. And in that is where you actually get to touch all parts of yourself. That sounds kind of dirty, but you know what I mean? From a concept of you get to be with all parts of you, not just the positivity, not just the joy, not just the things that are coded as positive emotion, but actually in the spaces that ground you, the grief, the sadness, the, the, the anxiety, you know, in all of these things. So, all right. You know, and, and the question is, how do we know we need to end this type of relationship? Because if it's not going towards what you want and not actually navigating in that direction, and they don't agree with what you want and what your vision is, then you have to trust that they can choose for themselves as can you. You don't have to abandon what you want in order to get it. You have to stay you have to stay into this space. You know, you have to keep, keep going. You have to commit that what you're worthy of is more important than what you've settled for. Okay. Question four, how do I ask, what are we? Is it a red flag if you have to ask where you stand in a relationship? How do you even go about asking? I feel needy and annoying making a guy talk. Should his feelings and intentions not just be obvious? Um, no, isn't that like their intention should not be obvious. You know, my real, my real thought on this, and I consistently say is it is a red flag if words and actions don't match. A lot of people say, believe words over actions, or sorry, believe actions over words. No, because sometimes you might feel like they're treating you like a partner, but they're saying they don't want a relationship. Just that mismatch. And then we think, oh, well, they actually want a relationship with me. It's just that they don't want to agree to it because they're afraid because they've been hurt in the past. And so we start to rationalize and we start to solve their feelings for them. We start to make assumptions, which I promise, what is that saying that when you assume you make an ass out of you and me? Yeah, it's really true. Assumptions are no good in the relational world. Clear, effective communication is the greatest thing you can ever do for yourself. So Is it a red flag to even have to ask? No, but the thought that your need to ask is a red flag tells me that there is likely um, you, I already know, I feel needy and annoying making a guy want to talk. Someone has taught you that you are too much. Someone has taught you that you are too much and that when you need things, you're too needy and you're annoying. Now, Neediness that comes from a place of I need you to validate my security and validate who I am is different than emotional needs, which is healthy, right? To to have a healthy emotional need, which is, here's how I think about it. If you're dating, and let's say it's, because the first date, if you're asking what you are, that's a lot. That's, let's be honest, that's coming from a very insecure place, and that's not healthy. That's going to push people away which often when we identify as too much, we can sometimes become too much. We can become a bulldozer. And the reason we, and we might, we might uh, misrepresent or miscode this as I'm just vulnerable, 
But that's the difference between vulnerability and oversharing. In vulnerability, it's a beautiful expansion, a conversation that takes a leap, that invites someone deeper to know you more. But the real question that Brene Brown talks about in this difference, which is a brilliant question, is have they earned the right to your story? So often we share our deepest, darkest traumas, our deepest experiences, and and that just validates this idea that I'm too much. Instead of holding on to them and allowing someone to earn the right to that information. So in whenever we feel like we're too much, it often the other way it expresses is that we never share. We never ask for what we want. We don't believe we're worthy of asking for that. We're afraid that if we share, they'll say, and we often then are attracted to people who then also are like, you're too much, right? They're always this, you have to recognize that if someone can't hold the container of your confident or emotional expression that expresses a need, then they're not your person. You know, like these people who still get to be in relationship with you Every time you express something, you keep minimizing yourself and they tell you that you're too much to gaslight your share. So my advice when people are dating is to really actually, you can really actually um, start to feel into yourself and say, okay, at this point, in order to further open my heart, I need to know, are we exclusive? Are you sleeping with other people? Are you dating other people? That's normal. You know, like for me, if you're not on the same page, that's totally okay because you have to start to see that it is the question that you're asking and the declaration of the security you need to open your heart and parts of you physically, emotionally, intimately. In order to do that, it is up to you to be in charge of your security and your safety from a heart perspective and from every perspective. And so, In that, and I'm speaking separately from sexual abuse or anything like that, in this, though, is the question of something, you know, I remember I was dating this girl for a month, and there came a point where I was like, okay, am I wanting to ask this conversation from a place of um, anxiety, like I need to know and I need security, or is it from a place of wholeness? If I loved myself, would I have this conversation? And being someone who was more prone to anxiety, I had to really sit in some anxious spaces that I hadn't sat in. And so that's where when you say, if I loved myself enough, what would I do? If I believed I was worthy, what would I do? You have to pay attention to sometimes you're not supposed to have that conversation. And so what I would do is I'd ask myself that. And I remember it came up and I was like, I would get clear on what we are and and are we... um, are we monogamous you know, sexually? Are we dating other people? And I was not, and I didn't want to. In order to keep moving forward, I had to ask that. So I asked, and I declared what I wanted, and she also agreed to it, and that was it. And if she had said, no, I want to date other people, or I want to be intimate with other people, I'd have been like, peace out. Okay, cool. Like That's great, because you not agreeing with what I want doesn't invalidate what I want. You not agreeing with my expression doesn't make my expression invalid because the validation of me and my expression is not in your hands. It's in my hands. The evidence of my worth is in my behavior, not in the response to my behavior. And that's where everything changes. So this is how we move from feeling like you validate whether I'm needy and annoying versus I validate whether I am. I validate whether this is an emotional need that is valid and should be expressed. I think this is a great thing to work through with a a skilled coach, a therapist, and to explore. And, you know, feelings and intentions are not always obvious. And that's why we need to ask questions and we need to be great communicators. We need to learn. It's a skill set. You know, I, I remember like telling people like, you can ask someone on the first date, what are you looking for? And they're like, oh my God, that's way too soon. That's not, that's too much. And I'm like, no, it fucking isn't. It's only too much for someone who doesn't want what you want. You have to remember that the declaration of what you want is the filtration process. That's actually the filtration process. Because if someone doesn't want what you want, it doesn't make them not the one. It actually makes them not the one, right? But we get so... Um, we go to such a place of scarcity when we experience connection. As soon as we experience connection, our brains go out the window and all of a sudden we're like, yeah, but he didn't say what he wanted and like, or she doesn't actually want the same thing or she just got out of a relationship. But 
you know, like that's okay. I can, you know, I can self-abandon for this or I can, you know, and we, we forget about ourselves because that's where we will abandon being connected to us to be connected to other people. And you see how that, if it, a relationship begins like that, it will get to a place at two, three years where you have no idea when you lost yourself. They, you'll realize that you forgot about yourself long ago. And that's how codependent relationships begin. And that's how relationships that are built on mass and fakeness and not being truth, truthful and honest. You know, we're just as guilty of manipulation if we lie about what we want in order to be in friends with benefits relationships, you know? All right. So last question. Um, how to get an, a partner to open up during conflict? That could be hard um, because often the people who don't open up during conflict are too flooded. So they have a lot of emotional overload. Um, they're out of their window of tolerance, which is really the space of the ability for them to still process information and problem solve and have a conversation. But when we're outside of our window of tolerance, it's hard for us to do. So it'd be great to have a therapist um, navigate that conversation, navigate that. The other thing you can do, you can um, you can actually do a uh, there if you Google Amago dialogue, I M A G O dialogue, that will teach you and your partner how to have a conversation that ensures that both the speaker and the listener feel heard. And it will teach you a process. It can feel a little clinical at first, but that's okay because you can then take the clinical construct and learn how to use it in your own language and move through it a lot quicker and all those types of things. So you can get curious about the person who can't open up. So after you're not, because you really want to move to a place where you're not in the triggered state in the actual conflict. And later you can say, hey, do you mind sharing what was going on for you in that moment? Like I noticed you were shut down and it was hard for you to open. What was it about the situation that made you shut down? Because you remember that everyone who's protecting themselves in a conversation, uh, like when they get defensive, when they shut down, when they can't share, it's really because they're protecting themselves from being hurt. Um, so it takes consistent, intentional, deliberate, co-created conversations to be able to create a safe space between the two of you to have conversations that are hard. And, you know, we can work on our own language in order to reduce the reactivity of the other person. Once we clean up our side of the dance, though, then we know that it's really their reactivity, that they still can't sit in it. That's why a therapist can be really great, because... Often people, when they shut down in conflict, they can feel like they're being targeted or attacked by you, which might not be true. It's just that they're stuck in a frozen state from when they were a kid and their parent was really critical or abusive or something like that. So the healing occurs together and it can be really beautiful healing. Um, when you make the decision to value yourself and leave, why do we still miss them? Because we're human. You know, we still love people. You know, that's his... And that's a, a beautiful truth. We love people. The love doesn't stop. The longing doesn't stop. The care doesn't stop. Um, and to expect that it does would be, you know, really inhumane in a lot of ways. So I would, I would say that you, you see the missing of them as the proof of your humanness, that your heart is open, that you care about people, that you don't just shut off. Um, but it's what you do with the missing that matters. You use the missing and turn it in. You know, you can spend time grieving and then use it to fuel your own transformation, to keep growing. Do you believe in cold turkey separation? Well, it really depends on the context. But yes, if you're going to break up, break up. You know, the getting back together and breaking up, like choose one. You know, that's ultimately what needs to happen. These couples that break up and get back together constantly, I'm like, just pick one. Or change, like actually change something, go to therapy, do some growth so that you're coming back together isn't getting back together. It's getting together, moving forward. What are your best three tips for maintaining interdependence on a daily basis? Well, one, get to know who you are and what daily rituals you need for yourself. You know, the that is important. And then honoring and respecting the other person's daily rituals and what they need for themselves. And then the final part to that, I would say is check in with each other, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, did we do a good job as a couple of cultivating a space where we honor 
ourselves individually and we honor each other because you, you can't get so individualistic that you forget about what you're building collectively, you know? Uh, how do you know if your relationship is codependent? Um, I would Google that and you'll find some really good answers, but off the cuff, I would say that the first thing is, um, it would be, does the relationship determine your happiness? You know, does your partner, if your partner experiences emotion and is angry, then do you get totally dysregulated from that? Which doesn't mean that that can't occur just because we fear the security of the relationship, but where you don't have a voice, where you don't have opinion, where you lack boundaries, where um, you d- you don't have your own thoughts, your own feelings. If you share them, you're not allowed them. Um, they're an addict of any kind. Uh, you're trying to fix them. You're trying to heal them. You call yourself an empath. All of those are pretty good signs you're codependent, um, which is not to say everyone who's codependent, everyone who's an empath is codependent but the majority of people who are empathic are codependent because they don't have boundaries around their empathy. The identity of I'm an empath or I just help people or people just come to me for their problems. Um, If you find yourself trying to solve other people's problems all the time, that's a good sign that you're codependent too. If you're trying to get your partner to read a book, uh, booking their therapy session for them, doing anything like that, codependent. Um, So it's really more about, do you have to abandon yourself for the relationship? Codependency. All right. Last question. Any advice for someone recently divorced and struggling with feelings of loneliness and lack of belonging? Yes. Um, I would join groups. I would find a circle. If you're female or male or um, whatever you identify as, find a group of people that can help support you in that. That, you know, there's lots of divorce support groups. Um, I have a breakup recovery course that walks us through the processing you know, and, and in there, there's a comment section with lots of people sharing their experience. You know, Create the Love on Instagram is a community. The comment section is incredibly supportive. I love watching people, you know, love each other and care for each other and support each other. Um, I know COVID is specifically a certain type of time, but, you know, there's also the opportunity that you can actually... Um, you know, uh, find groups within your city. Now, depending where you live, you know, there's probably different rules and regulations. Um, but, you know, there you have to really actually, um, you have to proactively seek community that will help you with the loneliness and the lack of belonging. Because what our mind does is it seeks to validate loneliness and lack of belonging. And so if we can make decisions that completely Um, make that untrue, then we will no longer believe it. Like if we start to go towards groups or like join a sports team or anything like that, that will be really helpful for you. Um, And it is for everybody. Okay. All of you have such a wonderful day and I hope to see you all soon and sending you big love wherever this finds you. Talk soon. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.